Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to loudmouthradio.com. We are live tonight, August 27th, 2015, and what a wonderful evening it is to be on air. As always, we are live on blogtalkradio.com slash loudmouthradio. You can also hear this actual arc, you can hear the show live uh, directly on our studio line at 347-826. 7520. We are really excited about being on air this evening as we're preparing to introduce new shows and new content. And tonight, the show, The Bear Truth, Love, Life, Sex, and Flowers with Jazzy Jones Smith is going to have an incredible show tonight. And she's got a number of great guests lined up for this evening. So it's been some time since we've had an opportunity to have The Bear Truth on live. And we want to make sure that you are aware more about this wonderful broadcast. All of our shows are available for archive 24-7 and on demand. Our radio network has been growing steadily. We're available on TuneIn Radio, which is a fantastic app that has over 50 million active listeners across the globe. You can actually pull us up with Loudmouth Radio Network, as well as find us on Stitcher, which is another great app, which is right over your car dashboard system. So if you guys are like most of us in 2014 and newer vehicles, um, most of the cars now are coming automatically with the integrated system. So all you have to do is go into your apps, write in your dash, and do a search, Loudmouth Radio Network. Make sure you put two Ds in when you do your search for Loudmouth. We also are on Blog Talk Radio uh, directly. You can go to blogtalkradio.com and pull us up. And make sure you favor and follow all of our shows. Um, this is actually year two, um, going into year three for us come January, so it's been an amazing time period for us as we have continued to grow as a network. Now, this evening, uh, you know, the the actual show name itself is The Bad Truth, Love, Life, Sex, and Flowers, but believe it or not, tonight, Jazzy has made a profound decision to have a show based just on that content. She's going to get, as usual, pretty transparent about love, about life, sex, and even flowers, honey. So you you heard it live here. And tonight she's got some great special guests that are uh, involved with this show this evening. So I'm going to uh, allow you to have an opportunity to hear directly from her as she is coming on to you now here live on Loudmouth Radio. 
Good evening, everyone. Welcome, 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 as our producer, Sunny, has said, to loudmouthradio.com. And it's with your special, wonderful, most fabulous host of all times, you know, just to me anyway, um, the Bear Tooth Love Life Sex and Flowers with me now, Mrs. Jazzy Jones-Smith, which I get to say that um, in all 50 states, which is pretty awesome. I'm excited about being able to have that privileges with the uh, marriage equality and and the marriage act passed in all 50 states. Thanks to to our um, president. Thanks to the people all over the United States that said yes. So I just wanted to plug that really quickly. We worked really hard on the marriage equality campaign um, with May Day Equality and uh, you know coming back on after that. I just you know wanted to give kudos to that as Sunny. You know, you can always choose to do many, many things. Normally we have our show, this show, on Tuesday night, but tonight we had a special edition because we felt special. And uh, fortunately, when you either work or own the network as we do, we're able to just come on and say, hey, this is what we want to do. So we did. And guess what? We have fantastic guests on tonight, Um, some that are going to just call in because we love to chat and talk about really great things, and then some that were invited and um, so graciously accepted the call to come on and talk about the different areas that they have some professionalism in, a whole lot of knowledge and a whole lot of wisdom, um, definitely a lot of opinions, and we wanted to share that with all of our listeners we appreciate each and every listener that takes their time out and comes on to this circuit, to this network, and uh, it's just a blessing, and I feel so honored to have you. So get your very best uh, choice of beverage. Mine is usually tea or coffee. I'm going to be a good girl and drink water tonight because I have 55 pounds to lose. That's right. You heard it here on Mount Mouth Radio. I officially have 55 pounds to lose, and all of this wonderful excitement of the last three years in my life and the changes and the gains and the and the losers and, and stuff. I have picked up fifty five extra pounds. It was fifty actually it was sixty pounds and I've lost four pounds. Yes, that's right. I need some claps. Producer can you find me some claps and some cheers? <laughs> I love it. So, nevertheless, um, I'm going to drink water, so that's my choice of beverage for this evening. But you kick your feet back up, and we're going to have a great show. And in just a few, we're going to bring on one of my favorite people in the entire universe, and that's Melody. She is in Laguna Beach, California, and um, she's going to come on, and we're going to talk a little bit about politics in just a few minutes here, and then we're going to have our special guest, Dr. Danny L. Harris. He's going to come on and share his expertise about what we need to do and um, not do with all of this craziness that's going on in our society right now with so much police brutality, so much uh, lack of police protection, um, all of the upheaval with the racial discrimination, gender discriminations that are going on in our country. And um, we really need some answers from the former inside because he just retired from the Atlanta Police Department after serving, I believe it's 12 years, and he can correct me if I am mistaken, but I believe it was 12 years with the Atlanta 
police department in 18 years total. So good job, good work. And he's one of the good guys. So we wanted to have uh, a police officer or rather a former police officer that we could trust that would give us real information. And, um, you know, we got to have some answers. We got to know what to do. And so we definitely are honored to be able to have him on and he'll come on here again uh, very shortly. And then we will also have um, Miss Tracy Wilson come on and give us insight about our kids and playing sports. And I don't want to give it away because it's a real serious topic that she's going to talk about, very personal inspiration, uh, inspirational story, and, and some heartfelt, some tug of war there, but definitely an outcome that we see in, in, in anything that goes awry in our life. We always have some good that comes out. And so she's going to share that with us, and then we're going to also have the sexy butler come on, honey. If you want to talk about sex, let's talk about sex, baby. I'm not going to sing that song. I'm not going to do it. But nevertheless, we're going to have this uh, sexy butler come on. She has a new production that is out, and um, we're going to be very fortunate guests this Sunday on her show, and she'll be able to talk to you about Sex Education 102, 101 has been done, and so we want to talk about what's next and uh, just get real fun and learning about healthy sexual relationships. And then we are going to close out our show with some goodies. We have some giveaways that uh, Miss Terry Henry, one of our favorite actresses and performers, entertainers, teachers, persons, is going to come on and um, let us know what she's doing in the community and around the world and also give away two tickets for an upcoming play this October. Going to let her talk about that. And then Marissa is going to come on and give us a little love nugget. And, you know, most shows talk about the inspirational vitamin. We're going to give you love nuggets and lights and good, wholesome energy because we need that. So once again, if you haven't gotten your beverage, as my producer is doing a whole lot of paper movements over here, make sure to go get that beverage and kick your feet up. And so we're going to gonna bring our guest in. I believe we do have um, Melody coming on the line with us. And um, hit the number one to talk if you are a guest and or if you want to ask a question or give your input and opinion, please hit the number one and we will bring you in as expeditiously as possible. Do allow us to finish a sentence and or um, wrap up our conversation with, with our guests, but we do want to make sure we acknowledge all of those that call in. And what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. If you want to call in, if you are online, if you're sharing uh, this information with other people, please give them this number, 347-826-7520 is the number to call in. We're definitely on Facebook, Twitter, and all those other handles that my producer just gave. So, Please, again, if you are online and um, ready to talk with us, hit the number one, and um, we will be there. I said that, producer, Madam Producer. You should see. I tell you, I can't wait till we do the videos that show the behind the scenes. It's hilarious when you do radio, when you have all of the things that are going on behind you. We have our baby in the studio. Um, Mandela is with us, so if you hear her bark or make any other doggy noises. We brought her with us. We unfortunately lost one of our babies yesterday. So 
um, tonight is a good night to be surrounded with friends and family all over who knew our little Maddie, our little poodle, our blessed boy. So we wanted to have our baby girl with us so we would all be together. So here we go. And uh, once again, thank you. And Madam Producer, do we have our guest? Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Carla, are you? Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my God. You know you're one of my favorite people in the entire universe. (laughs) In the whole universe. Thank you. You made my day. And so, yes, this is my youngest guest in the whole, you know. (laughs) I told her I wanted her to come on and talk with us about politics because it's one of our best, it's one of our best topics, and we have many, many topics. And, you know, she's known to me. She's an auntie, a sister, a mom, a mentor, and one of the most empowering women in the whole world, and um, I wanted to have you to come on. So introduce yourself to our guests, to our listeners. Melody Ricks. I am living in Laguna Beach, California. I am a transplant from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, you are. And And, um, we're going to be coming to see you very, very soon. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm holding it to you. Now I have witnesses. Yes, you but do. I have witnesses. Yes. My question to your um, panel is how do they see the Black Lives Matter movement impacting or being most impactful in their Approach to politicians. How, what kind of plan does that movement need to move the Democrats, particularly, to make this police brutality issue a priority? I love that question. I absolutely love that question. I want you to hold that question. Um, because okay. I, I, I do want our panel to not hold it per se, but I want to I want them to to be able to come on and talk about that. But I do mm-hmm. want to ask you in that same line, okay? Because I, you know, we can get we can do a whole five hour show on politics. You and I, I mm-hmm. have kind of been in the background of my normal political involvement simply because I have been so. Um, consumed with what I can do to help because I have felt very helpless in that same line of question. I, as a woman, as a, a gay woman, as a Democratic, uh, you know, I have found myself as a mother, as an auntie, and all of the other hats and titles, I have felt very helpless when you see all of the things that are going on and to be able to of course, right, be able to rally, to be able to email and text my leaders in Congress and my leaders, you know, locally. So, you know, I've been very consumed, and what can I do to just help the world at large? So I've been very involved with From Words to Action Outreach Ministries, which is my ministry, and, you know, feeding and and doing. So, you know, right when I want to jump in and go gung-ho, I'm like, Jazzy, this is what you could do. 
because otherwise I feel very much like your statement, like, okay, Democratic Party, for me as well, Republican Party, Liberal Party, the United States, what are we doing to be united? What 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 are we doing or not doing, and how can we change that? So I want to pose that question back to you, and then we'll pose it to our other guests. Mm-hmm. What do? How do you see this? Because if I if I don't watch you, I have so tuned out. It's almost like I need the strength to tune into the political arena right now. <laughs> I need energy, mm-hmm. and it's so taxing, you know, to mm-hmm. to see all of the things on a daily basis that are going on, but then get involved in my normal political stance. So what what is your answer? What would be your how do you see it playing? Well, psychology is my stick, so I'm going to go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, mm-hmm. when you, I, I think that you share some of the frustration that I do with feeling helpless, because right. when you look at the hierarchy of needs, it's very difficult to focus on first world problems, feeling the burn or climbing the hill when you're dying. Right. You know? So Mm -hmm. in order for us to really, I think that people always say, you know, people die to get the vote. Well, they didn't Mm -hmm. exactly die for the vote. They died to get bargaining power. Mm -hmm. To to Mm -hmm. be able to push our interests forward. So now I see a lot of people talking about, well, Hillary's got the people of color and Bernie's got the people of color. Everybody assumes our vote. Mm-hmm. And what I, my position is, okay, we can't stop, stop the press. I'm not feeling the burn. I'm not feeling climbing the hill unless we can address this. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. And Hillary seems to be speaking to. I mean, those two girls walked on television, and then overnight, we had a black PR person in in Bernie's camp, and Hillary formed a mm-hmm. um, a Black Lives Matter uh, component to her campaign outreach program. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. Now I'm thinking, okay, now we have their ear. We can move this. But now we've got to have an organized, clear directive. Right. I I, I agree. We can't be hecklers on the side and come in unorganized and stop their stump speeches and all that, that doesn't, it's not effective. But Mm -hmm. what we can Mm -hmm. do is keep the pressure on during this election cycle that somebody somewhere has got to listen to what's happening right now. That's so true. You know what, I have been, I, I, I definitely agree with where you are. Normally I get, you know, I get a rush off of, political campaigns in general. I just love it. I was very fortunate to work in Obama's first campaign in Chicago at headquarters, was able to be at the park, watch him 
received that nomination. And, 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 you know, it was just incredible. And then to be in Chicago when he was elected. So, you know, the rush, the excitement, the joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just President Obama. I've been very involved, you know, throughout my life. Matter of fact, I was mm-hmm. my ninth grade freshman press uh, president of my class. So politics has been in my blood for a long time, but not just politics. What politics represents, the actual leadership and the guidance from the people by the people. And so mm-hmm. I'm, in a, I'm in this space where... Um, and, and definitely when we have uh, Dr. Danny come on and he speaks about, you know, the insights from the police department, my thing is this, what, and I don't know that we have an answer, um, what is it going to take for black lives to matter to the higher-ups that control our police department, for the police that are not following the law, not all of them, you know, we always go, those police, those police and the police this or those white people or those Hispanics or those, you know, we always want to clump everybody in the boat and we can't because, you know, I don't know every police officer, every white person, every Hispanic, every whatever else. I don't know all of them, so therefore I cannot assume that all have the same mind, which is ridiculous in the first place. However, there seems to be a consensus of how um, those departments and the mentality a lot of times are that I am above the law because the law then is not applied. So, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the answer to how can black and brown lives matter, which seems to be the targeted people. How can, how can it matter when it's not being – yeah, okay, go ahead. Let's look at the police force in Atlanta versus the police force in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you've got to have diversity. You've got to have diversity in these communities. You've got to have people who understand the culture, okay? That's black, brown, um, lesbian, gays. You've got to have diversity mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in this culture. Um, secondly, we did something with 9-11 that was weird. We started militarizing police forces. But mm-hmm. the only problem, well, many problems came from that. But the main thing in terms of your question um, to me is I think that I've been – kind of involved in, in watching and, and going to the meeting to Black Lives Matter LA. And one mm-hmm. of the things I can see is that the young people are angry. Yeah. You know, they yeah. are very angry, but they are open to people who have experience in social justice. So I would encourage all folks like you and me and everybody else that's in community organization to kind of get with them, connect with them, because they are hungry for your experience and expertise. They've got to be polished in order to reach the politicians. That's true. That's true. On that note, we want to bring in Dr. Danny. I know he's on the line, and um, he is our police expert (laughs) 
on this particular show. And so we want to bring him in and join into this conversation because I think it's important for us to to build the bridges. You know, we, we mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to hate, but we definitely have to appreciate and to embrace. So, Dr. Danny, are you here with us? I am. Good evening. Hi. Welcome to the show. We are so excited. I know you've been listening in, and so, you know, uh, I definitely want you to introduce yourself, your your expertise, and make sure that I was correct in my statements about you. And then, you know, just from what you will say about yourself and then to join into the conversation that we've been previously having with Melody. Melody, here we go with Dr. Danny. Uh, definitely two wonderful people on the show. Uh, thank you. First of all, thank you. Uh, good, good evening again, and thank you for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, I've been listening in. It's really good, really, really good uh, listening so far. And uh, I am Dr. Danny Lee Harris. I uh, have 18 years of law enforcement experience, 12 years at the Atlanta mm-hmm. Police Department, up until yesterday where I retired. Um, <laughs> Congratulations on that service. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I um, I'm super excited about leaving um, because of what a lot of people don't really realize is that a lot of officers are are so eager to speak, but because they're still under the umbrella of their Right. The department is very difficult to say what you want to say. I have been mm-hmm. um, on the extreme end of that because I kind of don't, I've never really cared. So I kind of say what I want to say anyway <laughs> up until this point. But being released um, in retirement, it really does open me up a little bit more to be able to say things that um, you really can't say behind the shield. And that is a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem because mm-hmm. uh, we, we see the good and the bad and then the us versus them. But I, I must say, uh, something that Melody, is it Melody? Yes. Yes. Melody, okay. Hi, hi. Good evening, Melody. There was something that you said that really, really uh, got to me in, in a good way. And when you said, when you were talking about the diversity of police departments, that is that is very much vital to uh, police departments across this country. The thing that I think that is that people fail to understand is that it's really it, – Part of it is the culture, the ethnic backgrounds of the officers, but that really is a small part of the problem. The bigger issue is the culture of us versus them. The police Mm -hmm. have a culture, Mm -hmm. and then the community has a culture, and the communities in which these officers serve have a culture. And when you combine them, it can be a disaster when people are not aware of how the other one thinks. For example, if you have a white officer working in a a, a, a largely African-American, and I hate to say African-American, please forgive me, I like to say black, uh, not everybody identifies. Right. Say black. But if you're a white officer and you work in a black neighborhood and you don't know the culture, then that's the 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 young people or the even the mature people in that community that don't know how officers are trained or, or their culture, you have the police code. Dr. Danny, you're going in and out. Okay. You're going in and out, so I don't know if you can steady that or not, sure. but I know oh, if let you me, hold let one me foot up and headset. put one arm out. I'm gonna t- <laughs> hold <laughs> okay. on one second. <laughs> if this is good, we want to make sure to hear everything that you're saying. Is that better? That's better. Okay. I just had to take my, my, my headset. My head set off. Okay. Uh, I was saying, you know, when you have the white 
in the black neighborhoods, and then you have that's one culture. Then you have the black not understanding the white culture or understanding the police culture. You have it's a disaster. It's a recipe for disaster waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. One the to me writing knowledge is power. What everyone should know about the police was really to bring to the communities how officers are trained. That gives people an insight as to how officers think, and that is colorblind. The way officers are trained is across the board, whether you're here, West Coast, Midwest, you know, North, South, it doesn't matter. Officers have the same principles around this country. Once you understand those principles, how officers are trained, it's a little bit easier to accept or understand why is this officer being so abrasive when I feel like they should well, we understand that officers are trained to be abrasive because we have the mentality of, I'm going to go home. So we come off aggressive in the very beginning, and officers that are really good officers know how to turn that off when they don't need it anymore. Some officers and some of the younger generations, they don't know how to turn that off, which becomes another issue. So it's a, it's a whole lot. Of, if you see what I'm saying, it's a whole lot of things that's in the mix with the problems that's going on in policing today. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. And you see, you know, they just had... Go ahead, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, Doctor, I'm wondering if if it is at all um, possible that in different regions, because of, of more diversity, you have different responses, because I read about, I, I saw the 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 video of the police officers speaking in Atlanta about the hate crime, well, about them burning the Confederate flags in front of Ebenezer. It was the first time I ever heard officers say it was a hate crime. I mean, they just came came out and named it, which was different than what I see in L.A., Yes, and 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 that the region does make a difference as to the outlook on any situation. Uh, about the particular situation, since we are in the South, racism yeah. is looked at a lot yeah. than on the West Coast or even up north. From I'm from New York, and it's looked at very different from New York uh, to down mm-hmm. south. Yes, you're right. It really mm-hmm. has a lot. To do. You know what? In the South, period. In this, you, you know. It's. I was born here. I love so many things about our southern culture, but I do find, you know, in my travels, whether whether national or international, the way things, you know, some things are just point blank. You know it is because you're black. You know that it's because you're white or brown or Indian, you know, whatever the discriminatory color or uh, gender, you know it. It's very present. In the South, yeah. I think we, because it has been so long accepted, it has been the the good old boy rule, and and because it was a known fact that this was the way it it goes and how it is, it has been so much harder to pinpoint the definitive right answer. It is discrimination. It is a hate crime. I mean, if we jump over to what's going on in the black trans, predominantly black and, and Latino trans um, gendered women are being beat down, beat up, dragged out, and killed, and they still yes. don't want to call that a hate crime. It is insane. 
it is insane that we, um, you know, we downplay the crime here in the South. We downplay what should be so very evident um, that it is what it is. Um, so I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly with the national international. I do have a question, and then, you know, it kind of goes with the question that we had prior to. We know that you did write the book, and I definitely want you to mention your book again, um, and, and, you know, before we end the show, you know, let people know how they can get there, because knowledge is power. If we don't know what to say, we did a show last year, I believe it was last year, on the legal voice on one of our programs that we're actually going to be bringing back this fall, because I think it's imperative that people understand and that they know their legal rights. Um, sometimes, you know, you don't have a million dollars to pay uh, an attorney when it happens, but if we have a little bit of information prior to, we know our rights, we know the law. Um, but I think it's imperative for us to hear from a good officer, one who did serve, um, one that, that did speak out when speaking out was not cool. Um, and we we salute you for that because that seems to be the problem. In prior uh, my prior past life, I did um, have a relationship with a police officer in Chicago. My brother was a sheriff many, many, many years ago in North Carolina. So I watched what I called the gang. Um, it was, <laughs> as you stated from the beginning, it was you, the police, against us, the people who put the police in position. <laughs> And it just became, and it is, that standard of difference where you don't trust the officer because the officer has gone behind the shield and the shield has given them the power. And I know both of you may remember that movie that Steven Seagal did years ago, Above the Law. And it it just really was one of those things that rings true today where, Many officers do feel like they are above the law, and then many laws, law enforcers, um, and the government leadership in our court systems then support that above the law attitude. So here we are in this position of being angered citizens, and riots are formed out of not being heard and not being addressed, not being respected, and not being served by the very laws that the law enforcement is supposed to protect. So here we have an enraged community, right, that is supposed to trust the law enforcement, but then at the same time the law enforcement, most officers are not to be trusted because they have this shield of protection from the courts. What, in your opinion, do we do? As a community, you know, because when you take off that badge, you are still a part of this community. So how do, how do you, you understand what I'm saying? So this is a question that everybody, it's, it's on everybody's lips, no matter the color, the, the, you know, position, whatever. What do we do in your opinion? How do we handle this? What are the steps that you see now very much so being off the force? Now, what do we do? What can we do? I think that, I mean, that's an excellent, excellent question. Uh, I think the first part of that is to understand that it, the court system, the legal system, and the the fact that the, the society feels that officers are being 
kind of slapped on the wrist and let go. Uh, again, that really goes back to understanding how the law in this country, in this land, is set up, especially as it relates to law enforcement. Uh, there, there is situations that have happened in the media in the last year. Every single situation, and this is not to say that I'm psychic or anything, but every single situation I was to look at my wife and tell my wife what the outcome was going to be from the beginning of the situation. Because you have to understand how the legal system is set up and then how color of law is what it's called. Officers are protected under the law when they're doing their rightful duties. Uh, and how that looks in the law, it may seem extremely unfair to someone who doesn't understand the system or who who doesn't understand how officers are protected and how the Constitution and how the Supreme Court has granted officers a certain type of protection in order for them to be safe and to actually you know, do their duties on the job. And it does seem unfair because the, the, the standard is different. But once you understand mm-hmm. that, then you understand. Now I have it to a point where my wife is like, okay, I know what's going to happen with this case because I've taught her to understand how to think when it relates to these cases. That's number one. Most people don't know how to think when it comes to, well, I don't understand why that officer got off. I don't understand how that officer mm-hmm. walked away without that's, that's That is an issue. Again, that's really all it takes is a different mindset when, when looking at the situation and taking the emotion out of looking at it, if that makes any sense. Uh, emotion clouds our judgment when it comes to how we objectively view something. That's number one. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you're right. We should be tired. Black lives do matter. Every life matters for that for that point. The the, the mm-hmm. issue is, the point about riots starting. The issue is, we we if we don't stand together, when I say we, I mean black people in America do not stand together to understand that you really do have a lot of power when it comes to who's in office. Who's running your police department? Who's running your sheriff's department? And you have to understand where the power begins and then where it ends. It begins with us because we do have the power. When we don't go out and vote, we've just given up that power. When we when we don't go out and encourage our people and our kids and our 18-year-olds who just turned 18, 19, 20-year-olds to go out there and vote and understand what they're voting for, we give up that right. We give up that power. We give up that that voice. We need that voice. And even in my book, I address the fact that as black people, we got to stop pointing the finger when we don't take on the responsibility of what we don't do. We have to be mm-hmm. held accountable to one another. That means go out and vote. And it's not I'm not talking about the presidential votes. I'm talking about the votes in between president the races matter the most mm-hmm. for you and the ones that actually directly affect my everyday life, mm-hmm. not the ones come in every four years with a president because I'm not saying that the president doesn't have power but it takes a while for that power to trickle down to me in my area, in my neighborhood, in my community but the ones that are offset mm-hmm. I need to be voting and I need to be worried about my superintendents my, my sheriffs my mayors the mayor, appro- uh, the mayor appoints the chief the police chiefs and then we vote in our sheriffs these are the people that are at the top of our police chain here, if you understand that, I'm going to hold my mayor accountable because this police department is really messed up. That's where we fall at. I, I tell, I, you know, as a, as a professor at three colleges, I say this all the time to my students. It is so important to remember the power of the pen. You can write somebody mm-hmm. office <laughs> if you understand that power. You don't have to take abuse. You don't have to be abused, and you don't have to take somebody that is nonchalantly not going to deal with the problems in your community. But it takes unity, number one. It takes understanding, number two. It takes education. 
educating oneself and others on how the system works and how you personally can affect and change uh, your, 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 the face of your community. Understanding okay. that the sheriff has a lot of power, we put them in that power. The police department, mm-hmm. uh, we don't vote our chiefs in. They are appointed by your mayor. Your mayor is voted in. You have to understand this. You understand who to hold right. accountable. Well, I, you know what, definitely, and Melanie, I, I know you're like gung-ho with thumbs up. We definitely believe in the vote and to get out and to make your voices be heard. Okay. Having said that, and we all agree, here I am, a mother, okay? Mm-hmm. My child is stabbed to death, which recently happened to um, an acquaintance, a friend, a, a, a former church member of ours. daughter was brutally murdered wow. and killed. And, you know, all of that understanding is bliss when your mm-hmm. child is safe, right? Absolutely. When, you, when, when you're a brother, when your wife, when everybody is safe, it's easy to understand that. It's easy mm-hmm. to apply it. It's easy to understand how he got off all of that. I totally mm-hmm. agree. But how now do I turn off the emotion mm-hmm. of this police getting off that has brutally killed my child? And that was my best friend that I went to school with, and we just worked out at the gym. You know, we we knew this person personally. So how do I turn off my you, – you get what I'm saying? So, yes, I understand your side. You may not have the answer, but I, I'm asking the questions that we are all asking. Um, you know, it's like days I want to sit down with prayers and say, prayers. I know you're not the king of America. I know you don't owe all the, you know, the jurisdiction answers, and you're not able to just boom. But if it were your daughter, mm-hmm. what would you do? Really, seriously. And, 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 and I am a parent who fortunately – have not had to put a child in the ground out of a vicious murder or abuse, but I bear it too child. And it's getting close. It's at home. And so your child is my child. I am at the point now when when I'm driving down the street or if I'm walking down the street and I see a brown or black face, I have never prayed so hard and hurt so much at just an innocent child, they're doing absolutely nothing but walking down the street. They're doing nothing, and I'm totally afraid that I'm going to hear a gunshot. I'm totally afraid that this child is, I'm going to hear on the news that the child I just had that was doing nothing is going to be brutally beat up. And so, no, you you may not have the answer, but you're on the show. you all I got right now. So, <laughs> you know. I mean, but what that's a very you, uh, you understand what I'm saying? What, what? Out of all of that knowing, and out of all of that voting for the best person, what is another alternative? You may or may not have the answer, but, but even, from, other, even from you, 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 a point that is so highly, it definitely emotionally, it hits and it hits heartstrings that. 
no one can tell anyone who's lost a child how to feel, how to believe, what to do. That I, I have three sons, and, and I, I have not... I have not had to bury a child myself, um, but mm-hmm. I, I have thought about that question very often, especially when these young these young people of color are being killed in any capacity. Mm-hmm. But that is a very tough question, and I don't have the answer for it. But what I what right. I can say is that that person, uh, that person or the, that family that has to deal with that. With that, with that kind of uh, situation, will immediately be out of the rational thinking process anyway, because emotions mm-hmm. take over. You've lost your the the person that you expect to bury you, who are now burying. You know, so mm-hmm, I I can't mm-hmm. I I can't even fathom or wrap my mind around having to do that. Mm-hmm. You, Way you could, someone can come to me and say, "Hey, Doctor D, I need you to be rational." You, I can't be rational. Right? Yeah, there's no rationality. That's mm-hmm. that's not possible. I think I would actually be out of the equation of all of that kind of thinking. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to people that have not been affected by it, there there should be a different type of thinking. Yeah, yeah, and I you think know the what? Community. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Melanie, and then we're going to take a quick break. Okay. I just think that the community has taken up the cause of these of these families. I know that the Black Lives Matters here is meeting with police commissioners, trying to establish dialogue and understanding and ask questions. But, you know, I, I do know that that's something that this movement and other movements are trying to address. What about this emotional factor? You know, right. people are are. Ex- right now because it's not just about the kids anymore because now, I mean, one of my old medical directors last week, you know, got stopped. MD, PhD from Harvard supposedly has all the trimmings. The only thing that stopped that from escalating was the fact that he had a New York Times reporter in the car with him who happened to be white. Mm. You know, so we're just like one degree of separation before I yeah. find out that one of my friends or one of my family, not just That's in it. my community. And right. I just wonder, too, it, the last it, thing is what, mm-hmm. how is it affecting the black cops on, you know, in the department oh, now? That's a good one. That's a good Don't answer that. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break because that is a very, very, very good, very good um, question. We want to take a quick break. This is the Bear Truth, Love, Life, Sex, and Flowers with Jazzy Jones-Smith. And you're listening to loudmouthradio.com, and that's loudmouth with two Ds. If you want to call in, please call in to 347-826-7520 if you have a question for our beautiful panel thus far. Um, and, and or if you just want to listen, just hang on to the line, and um, you can just hear all of the good stuff that we're talking about. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Loudmouth Radio Network. Hi, my name is Carolyn McKenzie. I'm founder and president of Mental Health in the African American Community. Suicide claims about 40,000 lives every year in the United States. Traditionally, African Americans have felt that suicide wasn't as much of a problem as it is in other communities. 
However, a pattern has emerged among African Americans that could contradict reports of low suicide rates among blacks. Mental Health in the African American Community is a national nonprofit organization based in Stockbridge, Georgia. I started this agency because my niece had a mental breakdown and stabbed me and killed herself. We are doing something. Every Monday night, we have an open discussion called Let's Talk About It. Please come check us out at 125 Eagles Landing Parkway, Suite 121B in Stockbridge, Georgia. For more information, call 770-873-4496. That's 770-873-4496. Or visit our website, mhiaac.org, mhiaac.org. You're listening to the okay. Loudmouth Radio Network. We're back, we're back, we're back, and we're going to come right back in with our guest, Melody Ricks and Dr. Danny L. Harris, um, doing a great job of taking our questions. And we were just, um, Melody just posed a great question to Dr. Danny. Once again, I want to let anybody know if you would like to ask a question or if you would like to say anything, please press number one on your phone or your um all of your your electronic equipment, and we'll bring you on um, to answer or ask a question. So, Melanie, if you will repeat that question so we can get a really great answer because that's a good one. Okay. Um, I was talking about the one degree of separation that it's becoming. Um, It's not just about the community at large. It's about... um, there's, in a minute now, I'm going to hear about one of my friends or family members. I mean, that's how intensely it's affecting me. So I understand mm-hmm. the blue code, and I just wonder, anybody looking at this situation, I know that police look at it differently because of the training, and I thank you for that because that was helpful to me. Uh, I couldn't understand what they would be thinking. But mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. the training and the shield of protection, how are the black policemen feeling uh, within the parameters of what's going on right now with police brutality? Do they feel backed up? Do they feel threatened? What what do you think? Well, I can can definitely speak for myself and and people that I've spoken to that's people of color that's on the police department, and this is, again, not just here in I had to do a lot of research for my book from around the country, and uh, I'm hearing the same type of, of, of verbiage from around the country, which is black people are frustrated. Black cops are extremely mm-hmm. frustrated. They're frustrated because now it's it's more so in us versus them. It's that uniform against the community, whether they're black, white, or they feel like almost handicapped. Like, I can't help. Uh, this person if I'm not there? No. Or is my coworkers really treating people a different way when mm-hmm. I'm not around? Mm-hmm. So officers are mm-hmm. feeling the, not only from, you know, their 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 communities that they serve, and but, but from their, their actual coworkers. It's now an us versus them between white officers and black officers. I just spoke to a mm-hmm. gentleman yesterday mention the situation because you're going to know exactly who he is, but he was in a situation where a black man was uh, stopped by two white officers here in Atlanta. Um, and when he came up on the scene, we were just discussing this yesterday as I was processing out, he was saying how this black gentleman was like, thank you, brother, for coming on the scene because they completely mm. changed. When, you know, so, and he wow. was, like, was voicing his frustration 
um, because number one, the two the two officers did not know who they just stopped. That was number one. And number two, it was like once they found out who they stopped, they they changed their tone. So, but it shouldn't mm-hmm. be like that. This person is a, no, not at all, or not. Mm-hmm. But did, again, mm-hmm. I'm here verbiage from people around the country as it relates to just being frustrated because you you have to still work and, and, and best believe if I call a 59 right away is what we call it here when I need help right away or a 63 which is officer down officer needs help immediately if I call those numbers out I have to rely on people of all different backgrounds to come to my aid mm-hmm. so you only those of your coworkers, because these are the same people that's going to make sure and ensure that you get home to your families. If that makes any sense. That's it. That's it. So it's very frustrating because you don't really know what to say. You can't really check your partners. Like the gentleman said to me yesterday, I knew when I came up on the scene that what the gentleman was telling me was absolutely correct about these officers. Now, would that same officer go and then tell these two? White officers, hey, which I did was completely messed up or whatever. He's going to be hesitant to do that because, again, like I said, when he's out there and he needs help, he's going to have to rely on those same two officers to come and make sure. That's so sad. That is so sad. And you know what? It's so funny that you are saying this. Yesterday we had a conversation with a dear friend of ours who has a family member who's a correction officer, and she happens to be one female and two black. And she's in a very warped um, new facility and watching the behaviors of cops that are not uh, black and seeing the corruption and she is one like you, Dr. Danny, who she speaks up like, listen, uh-uh, not on my watch, you know. Right. But at the same time, having to be a bit hesitant because, yeah, I'm going to speak up. Yes, I'm going to report you. But at the same time, now i got to make sure you have my back. Well, she has a great rapport with the inmates. So guess who has her back? The very people what? who she's in there trying to make sure serves their time is the one she has to trust on trust in because she cannot trust her fellow um correction officers. That should not be. That should not be that uh, that I you know, I've risen I've I've done the things that I needed to do. I've gotten the education. I'm serving. I'm doing my job and I'm doing a good job at it. And I have to trust the inmate. Do you know how right. scary that is? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a, it's right. So it's a it's a real sad and kind of um, you know it's a bad situation. And I wanted to ask those hard questions because I know people ask. And you know, again, if we have this forum, we have to ask the questions that our listeners are asking us or that we're having in our own you know at our at our dinner tables and and perplexed, um, hard questions. So I wanted to be able to ask someone that, of course, I trust. Um, and definitely, I, you know, we have different people on here. I don't always agree with everybody that comes on to our platform, but I've been very fortunate to respect and um, have a high trust factor with the people that we've had on, on the show in the, the last two years. I've been very, very blessed to be able to say, if this person said it, I, don't, I totally 
can stand behind it, even if I don't necessarily agree, but I can stand behind it because I know you are of good character. So I wanted to have you on because I trust that you're going to give us, you know, a total truth based upon your belief of that truth um, story. So I wanted to ask those hard questions, but it's also one of those things where um, we have got to get out and vote. We've got to, you know, people are like, ah, the vote doesn't matter. It's an electoral vote. Listen, people, listen, go back and do some more studies. (laughs) If we can change on now social media, there's a scripture, and I'm not... Hello? Yes. We are having a little bit of a moment there. Jazzy just had a, a little bit of an outskirt here. We're going to bring her back on. Oh, okay. I'm talking about Jesus, child, and folks just cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> that was probably from some of my wonderful friends that are atheists. I love y'all anyway. So nevertheless, there's, there's a scripture that says, um, greater works shall you do. And I used to, as a child, wonder, how can you do greater works in the stories of Jesus? But I, I slowly realized that social media is the greater works. Because if I'm speaking to you in Galilee, I can now speak to you in Galilee and Russia and Japan and America all at one time through social media. So I'm saying that to say, if we can make a stance and black lives matter and black trans lives matter and marriage equality and bring our daughters back and, you know, all of the other hashtags that we have go out and shut down Twitter and shut down Facebook and shut, you know, so we have all these shutdowns for things that matter to us and can get people fired and can get people, you know, homes and all of the other great things. We have to believe, and I just believe it, you know, it's just my belief that my vote has to matter, that if I stand up and say I don't want you in office, and if if thousands of us come out and say I don't want you in office, something has to change. Something has to be ignited to change our systems so that we then have people in office that matter. So yes, get out and vote. You know, you know, get involved. Know your community. Know your police office. Know your commissioners. Know your mayors and your senators. And you know, we got to know them, and we have to know what they stand for. So that's my little tidbit about that. Um, and I encourage everybody to uh, make sure that I encourage people, you know, to find out, like you just said. Jazzy, to make sure that you know who, who's 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 patrolling your community. But I I got one. If you if you can, if you can pass the background, you know not everybody can. That's just being honest. But if you can pass the background and you can go ahead and sign the waiver and you can go ahead and take a ride along with your local officer to see things from a different perspective, I encourage right. people to do that. You know, go right. on a ride along. See, see, see things from a different perspective. It is very difficult to tell the boss how to be a boss when you've never been a boss. You know, mm-hmm. so 
Sometimes you, you change shoes or change shirts for a minute, you get to see something from a different perspective. And I think that that is really vital um, to, to understanding differences, period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, they just had a conference, and I was trying to look it up. I'll, hopefully, I can get our producer to find that and post it on our um, information blog. But they just did the conference with clergy and law enforcement. I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago where clergy actually does a simulation of being the police officer and stepping into the police officer's shoes. And one of the, um, I can't remember what church, but the clergy member um, was stating on another radio show that when he had to be the officer, he was pulling somebody over and then that person pulled out a knife. And he said, I shot him. (laughs) He said, I shot him so fast. And he said, I think... (laughs) You know, he said, and after I shot him twice and killed him, he said it it made me step back and go, wow, you know, I think I just acted out of emotion and haste because I'm fearing for my life and I want to go home at the end of the day. He said it made me for the first time think about what police officers face for the first time. Very vital, and even. Jazzy, now that you say that, it's very interesting because as I do this this 12-city book tour, uh, one of the things that I'm doing is just that. I, I have shoot-don't-shoot shoot scenarios, and I put mm-hmm. civilians in the position of police officers, and I bring up scenarios that are everyday common scenarios and let mm-hmm. the decision whether or not to take somebody's life or not. And I think, again, it brings it puts people into the shoes of the police officers. So I want people to think how I've had to be trained to think, you know, mm-hmm. for a few minutes, minutes in this little scenario. So, I mean, of course, we got little rubber guns and all that stuff. Uh, I don't even do it the way that the, the, the academies do it with the real pellets and stuff like that. I decided not mm-hmm. against that. You know, we do it where you have to make the decision. And once you pull that weapon, you can't back it down, you know. So those, those are the things. Right. And I'm doing this city by city trying to get people to understand and to see and to and to understand that it's just about understand it is about understanding. Conversely, address that with getting the officers to understand. You know, kind of make it a two-way street. Have us understand what it's like to be a police officer. Of course, they do have training about how to deescalate situations too but also have them understand how they are perceived in the community. Absolutely. You know, Agree. What is their presence yeah, absolutely. like? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it is very, it's vital. Uh, you, you, honestly, I, I feel like some, some officers really should reside in the areas that they, that they actually patrol so they can understand the culture. You know, yeah. um, that's not that's really yeah. done. Across the country, because they do, they want you to have the freedom of living where you want to live. But honestly, I feel like if these a lot of officers live in the communities in which they serve, mm-hmm. that changes their perspective a lot too. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. So I know I, I can't remember um, where I heard it was riding a few months back, and they were talking about this. I want to say it's up north, but can't remember. Nevertheless, one of the things that uh, this particular person was saying that officers have not taken the time to get to know their neighborhood. They they go to work, they they walk their beat, they drive their beat, they go home. And so you don't know that um, 
probably down the street has a mental illness. Everybody in the neighborhood knows him. They've they watched him grow up. They've dealt with it. They help calm him down. You know, when he gets a little out of hand, somebody else calls his mom, that you don't know that. You walk up to this mentally ill person that can easily be talked down, and instead of talking him down, you, you know, you abrasively put him down or you shoot and kill him which, you know, is happening. It's happening so rampantly, and that's not to say that if your life was truly threatened, truly, not just, oh, I thought I was going to be hurt with somebody who's unarmed and standing there naked, and so I just shot them. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. Absolutely. (laughs) Nakedness was not threatening your life. There was a training that that is done here in Atlanta and is done in a lot of police departments. And that training has not been made mandatory. When we want to talk about politics, this is the stuff that people in the communities need to know about. This uh, a training, crisis intervention training, that truly, in my 18 years in law enforcement, is the best training I've ever received. It is a week of learning how to deal with ill and de-escalate them. When I tell you it has worked effortlessly since I've received training. Why is it not that every police officer does not get that training? It should not be an elective. It should be a mandatory class. It should be something that every single officer and every law enforcement officer and everybody that works in the jails actually get trained in. That's stuff that you can hold your, 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 the people that's at the top accountable to make sure that that training happens for all their officers. That's the stuff that where the politics come in at. Because I say, wow. and I, I I teach the class, too, as well. I said, why is it that not every police officer gets this training? You don't have to shoot a mentally ill. We have learned how to, and I'm talking about going, we have gone to a mental institution while people are, mm-hmm. are alive, you know, while they're having an episode, and we were mm-hmm. thrown in there to de-escalate this person, and we've been able to do it. We don't have no okay. weapons. It's it's so simple. It's so simple, but it takes the work. People don't want to do the work. I'm going to read a real quick quote, and then we are going to take a break and bring on our next guest, Tracy. She has been absolutely amazing um, coming from work and getting ready to go on the show and, and talk about our next uh, our next topic. But I want to read this from one of my favorite white men, and I say this on purpose. Um, <laughs> Tim Wise is absolutely amazing. We will hopefully in the next few months to early part of next year, have him on the show and or do a conference. We have met him, talked with him in Florida, and this man is one of the most amazing persons, but I say white because he says white, but I want to read this quote. He says, stuff happens. That's the G-rated version. That's a bumper sticker that only a straight white upper middle class male could have made. Because anyone who isn't straight, anyone who isn't male, anyone who isn't white, and anyone who isn't upper middle class knows that that stuff doesn't just happen. Stuff gets done by people to people. Nothing is coincidence. Nothing is random. This isn't osmosis. And so we act as if it is this passive thing, but yet that's not the case. In other words, just what you said, why isn't this being done everywhere? Because, you know, well, stuff happens. We don't have to do it. We don't have to take that. You know, I mean, sometimes we shoot mentally ill people, sometimes whatever, whatever. So it has to be a consciousness that all people 
respect all people. May not like them, but the respect of my position, the respect of, you know, my power, the the respect has to be there. And if we, once again, don't get out and vote, if we don't understand the laws, if we're not educated about our communities, our laws, our state, our government, all of these things that, you know, people, oh, I don't want, I'm not interested in it. You have to be interested in what affects you. You have to be right. interested in what is going to be a cause and effect in our communities. And so with that, I really appreciate both of you. I would love for you to stay on, listen to the show, chime in if you would like to. Um, but we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to bring Tracy Wilson, our next guest, on. Thank you so much, guys. Hang on. You're listening to the Loudmouth Radio Network. <laughs> October 9th, 2015, at the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center at Morehouse College. Here's an opportunity to see an awesome stage play written by Alice T. Crow, The Workshop, at the Atlanta Black Theater Festival. This amazing show is going to showcase some amazing talent with cast members David Rucker III, Kill Harmon, Ashley Davidson, Hannah Smith, Terry Harry, Terry Henry, and Donnell Duty. This actual stage play is written by a Nyack attorney. Alice T. Crow will be among 40 plays in four days at the Atlanta Black Theater Festival. The workshop is a main stage production at the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center on the historic campus of Morehouse College. Last year, the workshop won Festival Favorite Award for a stage reading. There's a one-time performance which will be held October 9th at 6 p.m. Tickets are available now for $25. The workshop is an respectful look into the world of a writer and what makes a writer write. It follows the journey of a spoken word artist who struggles to discover his voice among a group of wannabe writers in a writer's workshop. For more information, please look up on Facebook a Crow's Fly production, and that's spelled A-C-R-O-W-E-F-L-Y-Z. You're listening to the Loudmouth Radio Network. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that information. We are going to um, tonight have Miss Terry Henry. I can't believe you messed up my favorite actress's name. I'm going to bust you, producer. I'm just letting y'all know it was her. <laughs> but um, we're going to have Terry Henry come on sometime this evening, and she's going to give away two tickets. So uh, if you have not tuned in or called your friends to tune in, please do that now at 347-826-752-DRINKS. Two drinks, Lord have mercy. Two zero. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, and if you have not refreshed your tea or your favorite drink, you can do that in between our commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Two drinks, beautiful. So let me say the number one more time. It is three four seven eight two six seven five two zero. And thank you so much for joining us here on loudmouthradio.com with two Ds. And on the bare truth, love, life, sex, and flowers with myself, Mrs. Yes, I can say that. Let me say it slowly. Mrs. M R S dot Joan Smith. Um, and on that note, I'm going to bring in Tracy Wilson, but can I just tell you all this real quick? My last name was Jones. My wife's former name was Smith. We are now Jones Smith, two of the easiest names in the entire universe. Why is it so difficult for people to say Mrs. Jones Smith? Okay, 
just a question. I want y'all to write in, send me some, you know, some help <laughs> understanding the two most common simple names in the entire universe. Okay, anywho, I am so excited uh, to bring out my next guest. We had her on our show a couple of years ago. I think it's going into the second year now that we had her on the show. And she was in a place of building uh, this foundation. It had been there. It was stagnant as far as where she wanted it to go and how to get there. And she came on, talked to uh, another guest that we had on the show that very similar situations. Um, and I'm not going to tell you that. I'll let her tell the story again. But, you know, to watch so many of her challenges in this last year and a half and to know her working on some boards that we ended up working on and some, and some programs and to watch her blossom and to come to today's information, absolutely amazing. She is so incredible. She's so resilient and tenacious with this foundation. So I'm not going to delay her any longer. Ms. Tracy Wilson is joining us, and I love her so, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. Are you with us, my love? I am. Good evening, everybody. How are we? Good evening, sweet pea. Welcome. Congratulations for having a very long, successful work day. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it's been crazy <laughs> all day today, but I'm here. <laughs> you are here, and I'm so excited to have you back. We've been planning this for a little bit, and what a great day to have you on the show after such a fantastic day for you yesterday. But before we get into that, I want you to tell our listening audience once again who you are, what foundation you represent, and just a little bit of what got you here and then where you are now. Okay. Well, my name is Tracy Wilson. I am the CEO of the Terrell Wilson Foundation, which was started in memory of my son who passed away in 2007 from the aorta dissection. And um, mm -hmm. what I did with my organization was basically I wanted to turn a tragedy into something triumph. And I couldn't mm -hmm. figure out how to do that just yet. So I was like, God, what do I do now? I never questioned God. Like, I wasn't questioning God. Like, I wasn't angry with God. I just wanted to know, God, what am I supposed to do now? So the vision came mm -hmm. for me to start this foundation where um, I can save another child, just like my son. I can talk to another parent through what I've been through and still go through almost eight years later today. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We've had some challenges along the way, and, yes, I was on the show, and, like, about two years ago. It was about two years ago. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I was struggling. I was at the point where, you know, I couldn't get the right team in place. I couldn't get the right movers and shakers to help me along the way with this foundation. And then finally, mm -hmm. um, things just started falling into place. People started noticing. Um, people started calling, asking about, you know, what am I? What, what is the Terrell Wilson Foundation? What am I doing? You know, um, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your story. Like, you know, um, can you speak at this engagement? Can you promote this heart screening event? Or can you just come to the school and just, you know, talk to the parents about the importance of getting your child a heart check? So from two years to today, it, a lot has happened. Um, you mentioned yesterday, well, actually Tuesday, I got a proclamation from the city of Roswell, from the mayor, yeah. Mayor Jerry Hood. <laughs> and that was exciting. That was, that was kind of, it was, like, unexpected. I just got a call and was like, listen, the um, mayor of Roswell wants to see you. And I'm like, see me? Why? And, well, we, they want to recognize what you're doing in the city of Roswell, basically backing all the things that you need for the city of Roswell to make sure that mm -hmm. all the schools 
elementary, middle school, and high school are all AED safe, which means they have the defibrillators in the school. If any of the kids going for any kind of cardiac arrest, they can, we, their mm-hmm. school is set up to help them until the, um, you know, response team comes. So that was amazing. Right. That was just like the first thing. And then to know that now we're in a position where the state of Georgia is actually going to give us a proclamation. I don't know the exact dates yet, but that's coming. And then I got another call, Lawrenceville, the city of Lawrenceville is doing the same thing. So people are starting to take notice, you know, the little yes. interviews that I'm doing, um, the little Facebook plugins that I do, the podcasts that I do, you know, so people mm-hmm. are really starting to just take notice. And I'm so excited, humbled. And excited because at the end of the day, you know, I still have my moments when it's emotional. Yeah. Because that was my yeah. baby. That was my baby. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, um, Tracy, so I want you to slow down and tell our audience what happened to your son slowly. Because slowly. we get caught up in the the excitement right now of what's taking place. Because, see, what people don't know, they see they see the proclamations. They see the smiling face, right? They see, okay, well, Tracy, you know, what it is, what, what is it again that you're doing? And, and they see kind of the, you know, when people see you with a senator, a mayor, a congressperson, a business CEO, you know, of a major corporation, it, it's that kind of, oh, girl, you, you know, you're doing big things. But they don't know the suffrage <laughs> that it's the backstory. <laughs> they don't know the backstory. And um, you know, we know I share with you, as I stated, you know, prior and I've said on the show, you know, many times, that I had to bury a child and though she was extremely young, it's still my child that I had to put in the ground. And right. so which you no mother, not one that I ever know wants to do that. I don't know one and if I do know one I don't I don't want to know her. <laughs> right, but exactly, you know, no nobody expects that. Nobody wants that. So your son had a cardiac arrest, right? On the field. What no, he actually passed in my arm in the house. Um, he okay. played football. He was a freshman in high school. Okay, after the field. So, what from the field? What from the field took place to get him to that point? To get to the foundation, and what do we in your organization want parents, schools, and everybody to know and to do? Okay. Well. Please forgive me because when I sometimes when I talk about it, I still cry because that's my baby. Girl, go ahead. We're going to cry together. <laughs> Listen. You got my, Listen. got my eyes all teary-eyed and everything. Um, well, I'll take you back eight years, September 15, 2007. Um, my son, uh, Terrell, was a freshman and um, a, a, a lineman on the council football team. And they didn't have a game that particular night. He just went to the varsity game. And he came home, and he and I were in the home, in the house by ourselves. My oldest son was um, at his friend's house, and it was just he and I. And we just kind of had conversations like we normally do, just going through a series of, you know, what the weekend will entail for us, what we have to do. And um, we ate dinner, and he went to bed really early, which was not weird. It was just no, it was normal, but it was just it, that didn't like no trigger anything for me because it was Friday. He had been practicing all week, so he probably was tired. 
So we went to bed mm-hmm. and set up the nights, and um, then about 2.30 in the morning, he comes in the room and he says, Mom, my stomach hurts. And so instantly I feel, you know, Jazz got it in panic because, okay, you at the football game, you're eating all exactly. the food, junk food. Yes. I'm not I'm not in panic mode just yet. I'm just kind of like, okay, well, let me give you a Sprite. Let me give you some Tums so that way, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can just, a little you know, calm down. Mm-hmm. A little mm-hmm. indigestion. And so he, the, the first time there was a problem, like I gave him a canned Sprite and he drank it like it was water. So that was not normal because normal people can't just drink a soda just like that, just down. Right. And I said, okay, what's, what's wrong? He was like, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Mommy. Please just give me another one. Just give me another one. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so my baby, when he was sick, he wanted you to know he was sick. But this particular night, he kind of shut me out. He closed my room door. He closed his room door. He closed the bathroom door. So I couldn't hear him. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. But that wasn't mm-hmm. normal to me because I, I, you know, you when you're a mother, you know your kids, you know. You know he wasn't child. feeling good. Right. He wanted you to know. And so I got up and I opened up my door and I sat on the edge of my bed and I heard him fall. He was in the bathroom and I ran into the bathroom and he says, "Mom, I'm okay. Mommy, I'm okay." And I'm like, "No, you're not okay. Like, what's going on?" Still don't know mm-hmm. what's happening. Still don't know what's what, what's about to take place. Still, you know, oblivious to what's going on around me. And so, right. you know, he just. Started, you know, throwing up, and, and, and it was just weird. So I got on the phone with 911. I said, hey, um, um, my name is Tracy. I'm home alone. My 14-year-old son is going through something. It started out as just a stomach ache, and I don't know what this is. And I'm still right. calm, but I'm almost in panic but, mode because I don't know. Right, yeah. Because I don't know what's going on. So he went through, like, a seizure and just different things were going on within that hour. So I'm still on the phone. You know, the, the, the nurse is just the, the, they're talking to me, talking me through it. And I'm like, listen, my baby, is, I don't know what this is. And the only thing that he can say to me was, Mommy, I'm okay. Do you hear me? Mm-hmm. I'm okay. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you're not okay. Like, we're not, you yeah. know, we're not This is not this. our like, normal. Okay. okay. This is yeah. not our, this is not normal. And he's, and he's, he was, like, really angry, like, Mommy, I'm okay. Do you hear me? And I remember laying on the floor with him, and he just went through his chest, just, just swelled up. And I remember him taking out this long last sigh, and I started screaming because he was, at this point, he wasn't breathing. So by the time mm-hmm. I let out that scream, the fire department had came in the house. So they grabbed me. They grabbed him. I didn't know what was going on. But, you know, they were really nice, you know, and it was 2, 2, 2 30, 3 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I'm in my nightclothes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm panicky, but I'm calm because I have to be calm because I need to know what's going on. And so I remember mm-hmm. uh, just getting in the, the ambulance and seeing on the screen um, 14-year-old boy, cold blue. It still hadn't registered yeah. that he was gone. Yeah. It still yeah. hadn't registered. Yeah. And um, I remember calling um, my ex in New Jersey, and I said, hi, I'm in the car, I'm in the ambulance. You know, she said, why are you calling me so late? And it's just certain things that I remember and certain things that I don't remember. And I remember saying, well, I'm sitting in the ambulance, thrills in the back, and I'm looking at the screen, and the screen says cold blue. And she said, what did you say? And I said, the the screen says cold blue. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to her. So she screamed, right. and I hang, I hang up because I'm like, I don't want to hear, I can't. Like, I don't want to hear anybody screaming in my yeah. ear. We, we yeah. get to the hospital. They're working on him. Um, the doctor comes out maybe about an hour later, and she says, um, you know, she's talking about Terrell in a past tense. And mm-hmm. I 
like I snap. Like, why are you talking about my child in the past? Exactly. Like, what are you saying to me? Like, what are you? And it still hadn't registered to me. So mm-hmm. you know, the cops are asking me all these questions. You know, and I'm not crying. By now, the word has traveled the neighborhood. There are parents that are in the emergency room. It's chaotic. But I'm still very calm. I'm still like right there in that moment. And the cop asked me, "Do you have enough? Do you have any more kids?" And I said, "Yes, I have an oldest son. He's at his best friend's house. You, we got to go get him. This, that, fourth, and the other." And I was like, I called Becky. I remember calling Becky, and I said, "Becky, this is Tracy. I'm at the hospital with Terrell. The cops are on their way to get Taekwon. I don't know why they're sending the cops to get him, but just you know." So by the time my oldest child got there. It was just complete chaos, you know. They had, to, they had, to, they well, he died in my arms, but they didn't pronounce him until we, to the, until we got to the hospital. Until they got to the hospital. And, so we got to the hospital. So my son comes in and he looks at the room and he's looking at everybody and everybody's crying, but I'm still not, I'm not crying. I'm still like just in mommy mode. In shock, and he, yeah. In shock, numb, and he says, "Mom, where's Terrell?" And I don't answer him. And my neighbor's husband whispered in my ear. My neighbor's husband said, you have to tell him. We can't tell him. You have to tell him. And I'm like, what am I telling him? Like, you know, like it still hadn't hit me that my baby was gone. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what, what, what do I tell him? So he asked me again. And then finally, when I finally said those words, Terrell is gone, and it hit him, then it hit me. It did yeah. hit me. So it was just like my life as I knew it changed completely. Um, yeah. And I remember that they, they were saying that they wanted to do the autopsy on him. And I mm-hmm. was just like, no, you're not cutting my baby. You're not doing none of that to him. Like, we're not doing none of that. You know, it took, like, nurses and doctors to calm me down because by now I'm completely mm-hmm. a mess. You yeah. Wanna, you wanna, you're you're I'm, I'm done, you know. And um, the nurse says, well, you need, I, need you to, I need you to do that. I need you, we need to find out what happened to your 14-year-old son. And mm-hmm. I remember Jazzy, they had like a, a jamboree going on for the football team. It was leading into going into school. They, you know, they played for the rep, and then they had like this big jamboree was that day. And the coach that mm-hmm. lives across the street, he went to the park, and he canceled the event. And everybody, all the kids, all the football players, they were all in my house. They were all outside, 250 kids outside, parents everywhere. You know, it was just like so much. My son had so much love. You know, at a very, he cut so many lives at a very young age. Yeah. yeah. And I remember in that moment watching all these kids um, cry about my baby and, you know, just this emotion and everywhere. And I, I said, God, what can I, what, 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 what is this? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, how am I mm-hmm. supposed to do this? You know, I brought my children down to um, Georgia to give them a better life. This wasn't part of the plan. Like, what is exactly. this? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? And um, I remember this, the week, the day I buried him, that Sunday, the week later, I was sitting in my living room, and I said, I can't let this go. What do I do in this mm-hmm. instant? How do I help another mother? How do I help another, you know, what can I do to help another child? I never knew. My son had a heart condition. His was a little different because it was the aorta dissection, which is the main artery to the heart. It tore. So, and it's rare that you find that kind of condition in children. You usually find that in older older people, you know, that are like in their 80s or their 90s. So it's rare that you find that type of tear in a 14-year-old healthy. And mm-hmm. I just said, God, I have to help someone else. Like I have to. 
I can't, I can't let this go. And that's right. how the vision came for the foundation. So it was just you, one of those things where I had to do something. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I love, and, and this on this show, you gave a lot more information, and I love it. Um, because I think you, even through tears, when we go through such challenging, you know, such stretch thin, even the conversations that we had prior to you coming on, it's all the emotions of, you know, loss and, you know, discrimination and, and death. And, and, you know, and this is a, you know, we have some serious topics, but out of the serious topics and out of the pain, we like you said, I came from such a tragic space. I still feel pain here and there throughout my life concerning my son being gone. But the triumph is if I can save one child from this, if I can educate one parent, if I can educate the coaches and the schools and, you know, state to state and save a child's life, then that's what I need to do. I have to rise above my own hurts and my own pain to bring the information that is going to save a life. And I promise you the sacrifice of our children, um, you know, the sacrifice of a job, the sacrifice of a car, house, because you went through much. And, and, you know, I can't wait for the book because I know it's coming. But (laughs) um, I know that book is coming. I think most of us are walking around with so many books that can really impact and change lives or videos or seminars or workshops or foundations. But it right. it it empowered you to go from victim to victorious, you know, and instead of being in that I'm just surviving, you are now, I believe, what I see, the Tracy that I see now is beginning to thrive in this position that God has gifted you with. God, and I do believe God lets us borrow these beautiful angels. He gives us an assignment to protect, to watch over, and then, you know, to allow that releasing when they go way before we plan for them to go. But it's all in divine order because it is a much larger picture that that beautiful angel, that beautiful spirit, and that beautiful child was gifted to us for, but for a season. And so I am so proud of you. Listen to me. I am so mother to mother. Thank you. <laughs> black woman to black woman and organization to organization. I am so proud of how far I've watched this Tracy Wilson come from. From right. personal to spiritual to empowered and to getting proclamations, girl all over the state of Georgia. And, you know, for most people have no idea what those proclamations mean, but it means a lot when your officials and your elected leaders take notice of the work and the sacrifice. So it means a lot. So what I want you to do, because we're going to take a break and we're going to bring on our next guest, but, you know, I I was waiting, like, Tracy's coming, Tracy's coming and uh, telling us about uh, such a wonderful wonderful foundation and a great cause but definitely doing great things tell us how we can um get in touch with you your um organization name again the website and all of that information we're going to post all this too again on our website on our facebook and social media pages so that everybody can get in touch with all of our guests and any any information that you have but let them know what's going on how that 
they can get in touch with you. Okay. Well, the name of the foundation is the Terrell Wilson Foundation. Um, the website is www.terrellwilsonfoundation.org. Um, I can be reached at, you can call me directly. I'm, my phone number is on Facebook. My phone number is 770-873-9018. Um, I'm available. If I don't answer, you can shoot me a text and I can answer you back. Again, that's the Terrell Wilson Foundation, www.terrellwilsonfoundation.org. And is that Terrell with one R or two? It's two R's and two L's. There we go. We got to make sure that people know how to spell these things because they'll be looking for you. And then I know that you are definitely always, as I am, looking for volunteers and people who help you to do the work and help you to get the information out there. So uh, for all of you that are listening, please, please go and um, go on the website, find out more information on how you are able to donate and support. It takes money, guys. It takes money. Listen, hello. It takes money. It takes, you know, volunteers. It takes somebody who can send a text, who can do social media to make sure that any of the organizations that you hear, my guests, their books, their um, writings, their speeches, it takes the finances, it takes the faith, it takes the favor, and it takes the physical work to do the works to make sure that our children, our families, our pets, our world, our environment are protected and staying safe and whole and healthy. So please, please, please support. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. Please stay on. Listen, we have some more good guests. We have Saxy Butler that's coming on, girl. We're about to talk about sex, and I just love okay. that topic so very much. It's such a wonderful place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to take a quick break And then we will be right back And bring Saxon Butler on You're welcome to stay on the line Or you can just listen in For all of our listeners Please don't leave You have an opportunity to have two tickets For this beautiful play Miss Trey Anthony is going to come on In a little bit I'm going to What did I say Trey Anthony? Trey Anthony Hey girl If you listen and I just hollered you out I meant Trey Henry Terry Henry we just met Terry's name all the way up tonight, but we love her. She knows we love her. We follow her all over the world. Um, she's going to come on and tell us a little bit about the play and as well as give two tickets away. So stay tuned. We will be right back on loudmouthradio.com. You're listening to the Loudmouth Radio Network. Hi, my name is Carolyn McKenzie. I'm founder and president of Mental Health in the African American Community. Suicide claims about 40,000 lives every year in the United States. Traditionally, African Americans have felt that suicide wasn't as much of a problem as it is in other communities. However, a pattern has emerged among African Americans that could contradict reports of low suicide rates among blacks. Mental Health in the African American Community is a national nonprofit organization based in Stockbridge, Georgia. I started this agency because my niece had a mental breakdown and stabbed me and killed herself. We are doing something. Every Monday night, we have an open discussion called Let's Talk About It. Please come check us out at 125 Eagles Landing Parkway, Suite 121B in Stockbridge, Georgia. For more information, call 770-873-4496. That's 770-873-4496. Or visit our website, mhiaac.org, mhiaac.org. 
Make sure you stay tuned tonight as we're going to have opportunity to give away some awesome tickets for the upcoming stage show, The Workshop, a stage play written by an attorney, Alice T. Crow, who will be one of 40 plays in four days at the Atlanta Black Theater Festival. The Workshop will be a main stage production at the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center on the historic campus of Morris House College in Atlanta, Georgia. There's only one performance, so make sure you get an opportunity to get your tickets, which are $25, in advance, October 9, 2015, starting at 6 p.m. The workshop is directed by Alice Crow, and this is going to be an amazing opportunity for anyone that may be interested in having a great opportunity to see something that accentuates black writers and the joy of political ideas and conflicting social exploration in the African-American community. This show is going to give unlimited potential of African-Americans to sit down at the table with heavy manners and have a great conversation. Once again, some of the cast members of this fantastic uh, stage play is David Rucker III, Keel Harmon, Ashley Davidson, Terry Henry, Donnell Duty, Hannah Smith, as well as a young lady, uh, Ashley, that's made a recent cameo appearance in protest march in the movie Selma. Again, the Ray Charles Performing Arts Center is located at 900 West End Avenue, Southwest, Atlanta, Georgia, 30310. The Atlanta Black Theater Festival runs from October 8th through the 11th. For more information, check them out online at atlantabtf.org. Thank you so much for that um, information. And we um, shortly will be having um, Terry Henry come on and give us some tickets away. I'm excited about that play. It's right around the time of our producers, Big Four Over Today, um, which we will be doing a serious celebration on. And so you guys can stay tuned um, for that and help her um, embrace the new 40s. So we're excited about that for her. Yeah, I just told you business. Sure did. Sure did. I wanted to give you a quick piece of information for those of you that don't know that on August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution gave women the right to vote. Having said that, um, our conversation throughout this entire show has been make sure you get out and vote. So don't lose your rights. As a woman, we have come a very long way, but we still have so far to go in the equality of women. I mean, we have so many um, judges on the bench, but not many of them are women. We did just get a new um, youngest black woman. Can you find out her name for me? Um, producer, that would be so great, and we can can give her kudos. But we did just have a young, I believe she's 25 or 26, the youngest um, black or African-American judge that's sitting on the bench. I believe she's in South Carolina, so we want to give kudos to her, but I need to find out her name. So we will we will do that. But I wanted to say yay, 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 because women have such a very important role. And having said that, I want to bring on one of the most phenomenal, black, beautiful um, CEOs, EEOs, eating all of those letters. But she is a powerhouse here in Atlanta, UK, islands, and just overall um, abroad. And she has a new production that we fortunately have the opportunity this Sunday. We have two interviews this Sunday, and we will be able to be on her show. Miss Sexy Butler is joining us now. Sexy, are you with us? I am. Hello. Hi. Hi, darling. Thank you so much for for being on the line. We ran a little bit over into your time, um, but we've had a powerful, 
powerful people on, and we did not want to interrupt not one second of their information, but we definitely are so excited to have you be a part of our Love Life Sex, specifically, Uh uh, and Flowers with myself. I'm so happy to have you on. Please tell our audience all about this wonderful you that you are and what you are doing and bringing to Atlanta and across the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you uh, for having me on the show. This has been so exciting today. I've been preparing. Uh, like I'm on, I'm on. I can't believe it. But anyway, the, <laughs> we have a new captivating. It's a daytime talk show that's coming to the Atlanta, Georgia area, um, and it is called Sex Ed 102. It's a TV yeah. talk show. Yes, we're gonna talk about <laughs> sex, baby. Yeah, yes. I'm excited. <laughs> so. The whole, um, the platform of the show is to actually say to people, you know, we all know the basics, right? We know how to do it. We know the basics. But there Mm -hmm. is another level that we need to graduate to, and that's Sex Ed 102. There's a lot more to sex, love, and relationship than just actually, you know, the act of having sex. And Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. have phenomenal cast members that are coming onto the show uh, as expert therapists, we have counselors, uh, we have a wonderful co-host by the name of Mr. Rashad Ritchie, he's a syndicated radio talk host. Yes. Yes, I was very excited about that, he's my co-host. And again, you know, we just bring in the topics that, the hard topics, uh, taboo topics, people mm-hmm. want to ask mm-hmm. questions about uh, not just the act of sex, but, you know, how do I identify sexual dysfunction? Or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how do I identify that uh, I am a sapiosexual? How do I increase mm-hmm. my my sexual vocabulary without sounding mm-hmm. so vulgar? You know, so right. the show is definitely informative. It's not provocative. We like to say that it's in, uh What is our, our, our thing? We, we like to say it's... Uh, entertaining but informative so um it's a word that they the cast uses but it's really cute but it's a lot of information you know you guys can definitely take from the platform oh my god i'm so excited um now as i mentioned earlier we have the fortunate opportunity um when we first pitched this last this has been a work in progress work in Um, progress (laughs) and you pitched this to us last year and said okay guys i have something in mind, and and, uh, and when we met, we met at a a, a different uh, platform, and just got to talking, and and you said, I want to bring this this sex show, and I said, Oh my God, I have a show mm-hmm. already on mm-hmm. on on the radio called <laughs> you know the Bare Truth Love Life Sex and Flowers, and we were like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, and you know, unfortunately, especially here in the South, especially in the Black culture. Yes. Um, yes. Sex is so taboo, and it's something that's done most all the time, every day, in every kind of places. And sure. people mm-hmm. are not in the position, and no pun intended, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not in the position <laughs> where we would like them to be, to be as comfortable talking about sex as they talk about, hey, girl, I'm going to the mall and getting a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. It should be that comfortable um, for people to talk about, unfortunately, it's not because we have been told by the black church, by the black mm-hmm. families, not mm-hmm. only the black, but, you know, 
many, many, many other religions, many, many other cultures, mm-hmm. it right. is taboo, and especially for women to talk mm-hmm. about sex, sexual desires, sexual appetites, mm-hmm. um, and all of that. And so I am so proud of you because you stuck Thank with you. it and you brought it to the South where, yes. uh-huh. <laughs> what? You want to talk yeah. about sex? Forget yes, about that. There's you know. some doors down here in the South, and I'm yeah. banging at the doors to, you know, get people to understand. And um, the the true vision was based behind the fact that I was uh, working with a nonprofit organization, and they help victims of the sex trafficking industry. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I'm like, you know, what, you know, sometimes you lay out, you get up and, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will give you something, and you're like, okay, look, now, I cannot, I'm not touching this, you know. Because mm-hmm. I was just this conservative, too. And I'm like, what do I know about sex? You know, how can I touch these young women's lives? They know more about sex than I do. And it, like I said, it wasn't the act of. Um, um, after speaking with a number of uh, victims, they were telling me that, you know, there is a process that they missed. And um, love, sex, and relationship, whatever order you put it in, relationship comes first, then there's the act of love, and then there's the act of sex itself. And Mm -hmm. they just was not getting it. They didn't understand it, you know, and um, uh, they either opt to be in this, uh, the trade industry, or they became victims of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. either still coming out of the industry and trying to maintain a healthy relationship with an individual had become um, very, um, it was was just very confusing for them. And Mm -hmm. they just didn't know how to communicate, you know, I've been in an unhealthy relationship, I'm in a healthy relationship, and I'm messing it up. Is something wrong here? What's going on? What am I missing? right. So exactly. that's what the show is, is really driven to do is to help you understand love, help you understand relationship, and help you understand the act of sex. It's not just, you know, you know, to put it out it's there and It's not just, say, hey, you know, the five-minute yeah. thing and, you know, right. or, or the pornographic type of, mm-hmm. of illusion of exactly. what a, a relationship is. And, you know, I'm once again, I'm very proud of the topic. I'm, I'm proud that you had the courage to do it. Sunny and I both have mentioned several times that, you know, we're advocates with Spark, and Spark mm-hmm. is definitely an organization that gets laws passed and, and retraining and educating the community about mm-hmm. sex and human trafficking with boys now, with girls now and boys. And so it is very vital that when we reintroduce people back into a healthy space mm-hmm. that they learn the tools to have a healthy relationship and not only mm-hmm. healthy as far as, you know, mental or, or that spiritual bonding and connection that brings about sensuality, it brings about sexuality, but mm-hmm. also healthy in the sense that AIDS is so rampant mm-hmm. and casualness is so rampant that, you know, making sure that you're protected, it's also a healthy relationship. Right. And I know you're working with, you know, some companies that promote that as well. So we are ecstatic to be um, one of your your first lesbian couples that, yes. <laughs> that are going to be on the show talking about sex. And let, everybody knows lesbians don't have sex, so I don't even know what we're going to talk about. I don't know why y'all on but the show. I, I don't even know why we're on the show. But, uh, <laughs> but 
but you know, we can tap into to some of those myths and some of those, you know, things mm-hmm. of being um a working couple, um, loving mm-hmm. each other, working mm-hmm. together thirty four thousand mm-hmm. days, minutes, seconds, um, a year and still mm-hmm. maintaining love and respect and friendship to cultivate mm-hmm. a sexual uh, a healthy sexual relationship. So and, and then being able to learn some things, girl, you tell right. you. We right. we need to learn some things too because we're not a perfect couple. So we you know we always mm-hmm. want to make our relationship better. But I am so excited about oh, this wow. and appreciate you coming on. Now, how can they find you? And how can oh, they great. you know when can they hear the show? What you know mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I'm flying? How do I? Because girl, you 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 in place. Oh, we're you we're doing place. this. Yeah, we're doing this. Cause it's we're doing this in a traditional way. So I want you guys to definitely check us out. Uh, on uh, WeTV, uh, we're uh, paid programming through WeTV, through daytime programming. We're also going to be on local in the state of Georgia, Comcast 29, uh, Spotlight. We're excited about that. And mm-hmm. um, we're going to also be in five national, excuse me, five international um, uh, airports where you will be able to, if you're bored and you look up at the monitors or, you you know, you're, you're surfing on your phone, you can actually uh, download our app and check out some of the topics and take it with you uh, in, in, your, in your travel. So we're really excited about bringing it to the States that way. Um, you can also reach us on our website, which is sex-ed102tv.com. And I'll break that down in layman's terms because a lot of people are like, what? But it's <laughs> sex-ed102tv.com. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just find out the latest, what's going on. We have some new exciting tips, uh, creative romantic ideas. So uh, check us out. Don't be a stranger. You're going to love it. Yay. And, and look for our show. Oh, my God. I'm I'm spotlighting us when I really don't like the spotlight, but nevertheless, I'm always excited to to collaborate with very wonderful. Somebody sent a text today and said, you know, uh, powerful women collaborate together. They don't they don't go against each other. They collaborate. They make things happen. Right. I'm so glad for the collaboration with you, um, and yeah. look forward to so many other things that yeah. we are able um, to do. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to have our flower of the night, but we're also getting ready to hear from um, Marissa, and she is going to give us a love nugget and some inspirational uh, love and energy. So stay with us, Sex. If you wanted to chime back in, you can. Definitely. We're going to give us live announcements. We have two, actually, interviews on Sunday, so you know we'll tell you a little bit more about that when we come back from break. You're listening to loudmouthradio.com. You're listening live to Loudmouth Radio. We want to thank all of our listeners tonight for tuning in. If you're just coming into this broadcast, do not fret. You'll be able to archive this show within minutes after the broadcast concludes directly on TuneIn Radio, which is an app that is available on your phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, even in your car systems, as well as Stitcher. Look up our radio network at Loudmouth Radio Network, all three separate words, Make sure you put two of these in for Loudmouth and you'll be able to archive 24-7 on demand all of our shows. We're reaching over 5 million on Stitcher, over 50 million on TuneIn, 
and directly always at loudmouthradio.com. We invite you to share this actual podcast with friends, family, and whomever you think that will be able to um, enjoy the actual broadcast. We also want to invite you to listen to us on Sunday afternoon. We'll be live on V103 as a featured couple, Sonny and Jazzy Jones-Smith, with uh, some other couples during a love and relationship on V103 from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As well as, uh, as was mentioned earlier, we'll have an awesome opportunity to do our taping with Sex Ed 102 with Saxy Butler, the new hot producer of this fantastic show on love, sex, and relationships. Now, we're back to you, Jazzy. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, we're just doing a whole bunch of sex and love and relationships. I'll tell you what, uh, we better make sure to keep it together. You are never going anywhere, Mrs. Jones-Smith. Just thought I'd put it anyway. Um, so right before we bring Marissa on, because I know she is sitting waiting patiently, I want to bring um, Terry Henry on to give away our tickets. And she has 60 seconds, well, maybe two minutes, to tell us briefly about the play and um, what she's doing with that, who she is, what she does. She's been on many times, so many of you will recognize her. Terry, come on in, girl. Hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Hi, sweet pea. How are you? We have messed up your name the whole night. <laughs> that is hilarious. So for the listeners, they met me through a play that was directed and written and produced by Trey Anthony. Yes. And uh, But this time, however, I am doing the workshop written by and produced by Alice T. Crow. <laughs> but that's okay. I know it's been a long day. It's been a long day. <laughs> so we want to give away two tickets um, for this show. And so what we're going to do is have the first caller that will press in one. Um, we're going to give these two tickets away. This is going to be an awesome, awesome play. If you press the number one, we're going to bring you in immediately, and you're going to be the winner of the two tickets. If you're not going to be in town, please do not press one, and please do not take the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) So, producer, do we have anybody that wants these two tickets? Did anybody press one? Anybody? Anybody? Because if not, go we will take the tickets. You know, honey, we will go and give them out like we did the last time. Well, we got some I listeners, know. so they just have to hit that one key. When is the play again? Tell us when the play is again. It's October 9th or the 10th? October 9th, the evening of the 9th, which is a Friday night at 6 to 7.30. And then there will also be a talk back. And let me say something special about this play. Um, I am the newbie of the cast. This time last year at the same festival, this cast and this play won first place as a Mm. stage reading. And so they were so spectacular last year, they brought it back, and now it's going to be an actual blocked stage play. So they won't just be sitting reading the play. We'll all be performing, and I've been invited to portray the role of Queenie, who was a very modern, gay, and liberated, outspoken, strong, powerful woman who speaks Mm -hmm. in love. The play is about uh, a group of artists trying to resurrect a new renaissance. You know, back in the Harlem Renaissance, we had so many iconic people whose artistry spoke 
to the issues of society. And so now in the day of having President Obama, our first black president, we've got Mm. some uh, distorted issues with some of the members thinking that nothing has changed, even though we have a black president. Someone else thinks, thinks everything has changed because we have a black president. We've got some who are still very outspoken, some who have very spiritual views on things. And it's all about how can we as artists use our gifts to impact society and the woes that we are experiencing today, you know, be it uh, police Mm. violence or violence against women. Uh, male dominance, you name it, it's in the play. I love it. Well, what we're going to do is um, have our listeners go on to our website, loudmouth.com, and that's loudmouthradio.com with two Ds, and request those tickets, and we'll give those out. And or if you want to hit the number one, you can. But what we want to do, Terry, Thank you so much for coming My pleasure. On Thank you so we much for having me on. We love having you on, and we, we follow you. We love your work. We know you're about to go to South Beach and just enjoy yourself, even though you will be working. Yes. Um, so always let us know what you're doing so that we can bring you on and, and, and talk. We're going to bring on Marissa because I know she has been patiently waiting, and we want to end our show um, with a love nugget of inspiration because we need that. All of us have experienced something that we could be encouraged um, to go through and to, to you know, just to move to the next point and then go from the survival mode to the thriving mode. So, Marissa, if you are on my love, please, please, please join us and give us what God got to say, girl. Amen. <laughs> Hello, Thank everyone. you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am doing so much better. We made it through the show, um, and yes. it's been fantastic. And I know that, you know, the things that you have to say will be equally as important. Tell us a little bit about you and give us what um, has been placed upon your heart to say because I know it's there because you're just that kind of powerful person. Oh, well, thank you so much. First, thank you for inviting me to participate with this distinguished group of women tonight. I really appreciate the opportunity. I am am Reverend Marissa Penderman. I am an ordained um, reverend in the Unity Fellowship Church movement. Um, I pastor Unity Fellowship Church Greater Atlanta, which is Um, a small social justice ministry here in Atlanta um, where we um, live our faith through service. And um, I am excited um, to be in this place at this time in the the sense that all of the um, issues that you've raised tonight and um, that you're show raises on a continuous basis uh, um, are things that um, I feel passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a hard, it's a hard time to be um, in the world and conscious, um, but it's also an exciting time. And so um, tonight I'm thinking about Amelia Boynton, um, the um, 
civil rights activist who died mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. at yes. 104 years old. And I'm thinking about how she just showed up for decades and decades and decades, and most people didn't even know her name. Um, But if it was not for her, there would have been no Montgomery, there would have been no Selma, there would have been no 50th anniversary. Um, And she just continued to show up. And for me, um, that's a powerful message of how Mm -hmm. the personal is the political. Um, And sometimes we try to escape politics, but what we do in our personal lives is political, and uh, we were created to be connected to one another. And so what we do affects each one of us. And so our choices about how we show up in the world, 